So the scripture this morning is Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have the word of the Lord. Before I um, get started this morning, uh, I have to talk about alabaster a little bit. Uh, I, I, don't, I might have told you this before. Uh, my dad really believed in the alabaster offering. And um, after he retired... He would collect cardboard and aluminum and tin cans and stuff that you could take to the recyclers and get paid for. It takes, it takes quite a bit of cardboard to make a pound, and they got paid by the pound. So when we'd go to visit, there'd be big stacks of cardboard in my folks' garage and bags full of tin cans and aluminum cans. And my dad collected these things out of dumpsters. So when our girls were in college in Nampa, Idaho, where my dad lived, they'd be driving around town and there'd be grandpa dumpster diving. It's like, I don't know who that is. And he collected, but he collected it all to give to Alabaster. So thank you. Um, That was, that was great to see this morning, our Alabaster march. Um... At this point in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he kind of takes a turn. He begins moving in a little different direction. Uh, in, in the previous passages up to today, Paul has kind of been talking about his own situation and what he's dealing with and been through. And, and so uh, he kind of shifts from I to you all now. He starts addressing the Philippians and, and, and the pressures that they're living under. Um, this... And there are pressures from outside, uh, from outside, and there were some pressures from within the church. And so Paul becomes pastoral. Um, he's encouraging. He's giving it, um, advice. And he begins by saying this: "Live as citizens of Christ's kingdom." And, and I'm glad you you put some emphasis on that this morning, Pam. Because that's what Paul's talking about. He exhorts the Philippians to live out their public, public lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Represent Jesus well in the world. That's what he's telling them. So, when he, when he says to the Philippians, conduct yourself, he's actually saying, live out your citizenship. Of Philippi being a Roman colony, the Philippians clearly understood 
the privileges and, and obligations of citizenship. Um, now, we don't know that everyone that Paul ministered to in Philippi was a Roman citizen, but many people, because it was a Roman colony in Philippi, were Roman citizens. And there were some definite obligations and privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. And so the Philippians clearly understood that, that dynamic. Paul, though, is calling them to a higher loyalty. And this higher loyalty demanded a change in lifestyle. Um, Christians are called to live a higher standard according to the values and priorities of the heavenly kingdom, not those of the dominant Roman culture that the Philippians lived in. And it was not merely a matter of their individual behavior, although that was important, but the visible life of the entire community of believers in Philippi. For Paul's audience to live in a way worthy of the gospel meant that they must continually reflect Jesus' self-sacrificing love for others. Several years ago, actually in 2013, Great Britain's Food Standards Agency closed a slaughterhouse and a processing plant after investigators found horse carcasses had been used to make beef burgers and kebabs sold in Britain. A month later, the Swedish furniture giant IKEA was drawn into the food labeling scandal as authorities said they had detected horse meat in frozen meatballs labeled as beef and pork and sold in 13 countries across the continent. Shortly after the European horse meat scandal broke, officials in Iceland decided to run tests to make sure the same thing wasn't happening in Iceland. Fortunately, Icelandic meat inspectors didn't find any horse meat. But one brand of locally produced beef pie left the agency stumped. It contained no meat at all. Instead, it appeared to be some kind of vegetable product. One of the lead inspectors said that was the peculiar thing. It was labeled as beef pie, so it should be beef pie. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So if we wear the label Christian, then our conduct should prove without a doubt that we are citizens of heaven. The way we live should reflect the values and priorities of God's kingdom. So, is the label on the outside indicative of what's on the inside? So, Paul's plea to the Philippians and to us is this. Remember who you are. Remember where your citizenship really is. And conduct yourselves worthy of your true identity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why is it important to take this command so seriously? Well, because unbelievers draw conclusions about Jesus by the way we live. You've heard the phrase, we may be the only Jesus that some people ever see. They draw conclusions about Jesus Christ by the way we who claim Jesus live. 
If salvation doesn't really make a difference in the way a follower of Jesus lives, then why take Jesus seriously, right? This was important for Christians in the first century, and it continues to be important for Christians in the 21st century. As our surrounding culture becomes increasingly hostile to biblical truth. So then Paul tells them, as a citizen of Christ's kingdom, stand firm against cultural pressure. Stand firm against cultural pressure. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a matter matter worthy of the gospel. Then, whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. This is from our daily bread. I want to share this piece from our daily bread. It was just this past week, February 16th. It was written by Wynn Collier. And he's commenting on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Or, in some translations, that word world is, is age. Okay? So it might say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age. All of us are shaped by the cultural uh, values that surround us, usually without ever noticing. This is his writing. Paul calls this cultural force the world. Here, world doesn't mean the physical universe, but rather refers to the ways of thinking pervading our existence. It refers to the unquestioned assumptions and guiding ideals handed to us simply because we live in a particular place and time. Paul warns us to be vigilant not to conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So rather than passively taking on the ways of thinking and believing that engulf us, we're called to actively pursue God's way of thinking and to learn to understand His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And he says, May we learn to follow God rather than every other voice. We live in a time when there's tremendous cultural pressure to conform to ideas and practices that are not biblical. The pressure that comes in the form of calls for things like tolerance, inclusion, diversity, and pressure to conform to political correctness have an impact on us all. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad, but the way those things are believed and interpreted sometimes create pressure upon us to move in a direction that we should not. It seems, too, that the intensity of that pressure increases with almost every passing day in our current cultural climate. We are told that we must accept enlightened views of family, marriage, gender, sexuality, and when life begins. And there could be a lot of other things added to that list. We desperately need the determination to stand firm in our day. Now, it's true, at this point anyway, we face very little persecution. But the attacks on our faith are relentless. 
Many, it seems, are compromising biblical principles in order to line up with the politically correct views of our day. And unfortunately, we've seen that and are still seeing that in many denominations across our land. We are, not, we are called not to compromise the faith for the sake of acceptance or pleasing others. We, we too, as the Philippians, must stand for the Lord and the truth of Scripture regardless of the opinions of others or accepted practices and values of our time. And then Paul says, so stand firm and then fight for the faith like a team. Fight for the faith like a team. Then whether whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Fight for the faith like a team. Um, when, when you're busy fighting a common enemy, you don't have time to quarrel with one another. <clears throat> Sometimes we forget that in the church, don't we? You know, brothers and sisters may squabble with each other at times. Uh, my brother and I didn't always get along well at times. But let someone else bother a sibling... And the other or others come running to their defense, right? You know how that is. I can pick on my brother, but you can't. Often when people are under pressure, it's easy to lose sight of the importance of standing together, of being unified. Paul was aware of the tensions that had arisen in Philippi concerning a dispute between at least two leading members of that church body. And that is one of the reasons he stressed unity and taught them how to have unity in chapter 2, which we'll be addressing later or in another uh, sermon. One of Satan's favorite tactics is to divide and conquer. And boy, have we seen that in churches across the years, even in families. He knows that if he can get us fighting with each other in the church, then the church is weakened and made ineffective and unproductive. With this in mind, Paul called for unity, togetherness, cooperation. He called for them to stand firm in one spirit. He envisioned them so unified that they were contending as one man. See, when we truly work as a team, then there is great synchronization and power. Perhaps Paul, who grew up in the the era of the the might of Rome, envisioned an an illustration of Roman warfare. The Roman legions were renowned for their iron discipline. Often, when under attack, they would draw close together in one small unit, raise those large shields that were typical of the Romans, and advance together as an impenetrable wall called a Roman wedge. You know, it takes both skill and cooperation to advance together as one man. For the church to be effective in any time or circumstance, we must work as a team and be willing to cooperate with each other. Listen, let's let the world be a place where people quarrel, fight, and divide, but let's 
have a church where we can contend as one man. Amen? And then Paul says, and don't be intimidated by the opposition. And listen, not only in that time, but in our time, the opposition tries very hard to intimidate us. Okay? There's, you know, if you take a stand for the things of God, a lot of times the reaction is so vociferous and even violent that what it does is uh, it, it causes fear for the, the rest of us and we just decide, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Right? That's what we do. I'm not saying anything. I don't want to have to deal with that kind of reaction. Paul knew they would continue to face opposition and persecution. The world did not embrace their faith. And some would seek even to bring them harm. Even so, Paul says, there's no reason to fear the enemy. They needed to possess great boldness in faith, even when faced with the possibility of persecution. He wanted them to get that, to get that whole issue settled, in fact, prior to actually facing persecution. Before persecution arrives, I want you to know that you need not be intimidated. You need not be fearful of those who oppose you. And so, here we see that Paul called them to remain cool, confident, and courageous in the face of resistance. Paul told them not to be frightened in any way by those who would oppose them. And the, Paul, and the word Paul used for frightened was used to describe a horse that had been spooked or a horse that had shied away from battle. Such a frightened horse would tend to rear up and run away. But he's saying a Christian must not be like that. In times of crisis, others may be nervous or afraid, but he says not the Christian. He or she should be serene and confident. So, why and how can the Christian remain confident and courageous in a time of crisis or conflict? Well, first of all, God has promised to be with us, right? God has promised to be with us. He does not abandon us when the going gets tough. Number two, the Scripture tells us that the battle belongs to the Lord. These things we contend with are ultimately spiritual battles. And God is in the fight with us, right? And number three, we know the outcome. We know how it all ends. We do know that, don't we? We know the end of the story. God wins. And if we're on God's side, then we win. Right? It's, it's like the difference between you know, watching a football game live and then watching a recorded version after you know the outcome. You know, you... You recorded it, and you're going to watch it later, and somebody told you, oh yeah, they won by 20 points. So you can watch that thing, even when you know, it looks like they're doing lousy, because you know they're going to win by 20. Watching it live is different, though. When your team begins to mess up, and you're saying, oh no, and 
you think they're going to... You see the difference? And we know the outcome, don't we? We know the outcome. Paul explained that when we live with confidence and courage, then we become a sign to the unbeliever. When the unbeliever sees our confidence and courage in the face of difficulty, crisis, and suffering, then they realize we possess something that they do not have. Do you remember how amazed and perplexed Pilate was at the calm confidence of Jesus during his arrest and interrogation? No, he expected Jesus to to defend himself. He did not. When we know that we stand with God, then we know where we are going and we can be calm and confident even in the face of persecution. And so Paul wanted the Philippians and us too to be prepared for opposition. Listen, folks, sooner or later, we will face persecution in some form. We will. Opposition to the gospel reveals a spiritual reality that we are on the right track and that those who oppose us are on the wrong track. I heard someone talking recently about uh, military flyers. And they said, when you run into flack, you know you're over the target. Well, we're getting some flack, aren't we? We must be over the target. Our strong faith will act as a sign to them of what will occur at the end. The destruction of Christ's opponents and the salvation of believers. This is something that God will do through our faithful witness. You know, if no one ever criticizes or opposes us, if we never make waves because of our faith, If everyone is happy with our expressed values, that to me should raise some red flags. Right? It should raise some red flags. If the world embraces our beliefs, if they love us because we agree with them on good and evil, if we get no pushback, then we should have cause for concern. Those who walk who walk worthy of the gospel, are going to annoy the world because we stand as a rebuke of everything the world stands for. When we say that Jesus is the only way, they call us arrogant. When we say the Bible is the Word of God, they call us ignorant. When we dare to say that promiscuity, adultery, and homosexual activity are sinful, they call us narrow-minded judgmental bigots, and so it will go. We will annoy the world precisely because we are citizens of heaven and live by different principles. You know, we have been blessed greatly in America, but we too must commit to boldness in faith. The days of the majority embracing our faith are gone. The days, excuse me, most would rather the Christian influence be reduced to such a level that we are no longer effective. They will continue to seek ways to silence our voice and hinder our work. And as those days come, as the pressure increases, we must possess a boldness for the Lord. 
So Paul is telling the Philippians that boldness in the face of their adversaries would create a great witness. God would not hold their enemies guiltless. They would face their due reward being judged and condemned of God. On the other hand, the Philippians' faithfulness would serve as a sure sign of their own salvation. Mankind has never been able to explain or ignore the boldness of the faithful when facing persecution. Many have been saved through the witness of the faithful while suffering. They witness that and it changes their lives. We need to pray that we will have the courage to stand faithful if we face persecution for our faith. And then Paul closes this section by saying this, Consider it an honor to believe in and suffer for Jesus Christ. I get the believe in part. The suffer part isn't quite so easy. He's, Paul here is sharing in truth they probably didn't enjoy, but is true nonetheless. Well, there were many great and precious promises for those of us in Christ. There were also the expectation of willingness to suffer for Him. In fact, if throughout the New Testament, we're told if we will be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And it was not to be considered strange or unusual. Paul reminded them of his own personal experience with suffering. The Philippians must have remembered that Paul, what Paul suffered when he visited their city ten years earlier. He was flogged. He was imprisoned. And even as Paul wrote them this letter, he wrote from imprisonment in Rome. He had suffered greatly for the Lord, and he wanted them to know that they were no better. He didn't write from the comfort of his own home or a luxurious hotel room, but from a place of suffering. Paul certainly practiced what he preached. Facing opposition was the natural thing for a believer. He had suffered, and they likely would as well if they remained committed to Christ. You know, it's often helpful for us to realize that there are others who are fighting the same battle as we are. We're not alone. The struggles we face, the difficulties we encounter are not unique, but they're common among faithful followers of Jesus Christ. There are others contending for the faith. And thank God for those in the public arena who are doing that. You know, I think about voices like Franklin Graham and Dr. James Dobson and others of that ilk who have a voice and are, express their beliefs and their concerns for what they see happening in our country. There are others contending for the faith. And when we suffer for Christ, we join a company of other Christians who have done so in the past, will do so in the future, and many are experiencing that same in this present today. You know, one of the things I try to remember to do is pray for believers, followers of Jesus Christ around the world who do not have it as good as we do. Their whole lifestyle is different than ours. But to, to serve Jesus Christ 
sets them up for persecution. They're taken away from their families. Some are sold into slavery. They're imprisoned. Um, their worldly goods are confiscated. And some face torture and even death. Folks, we have it good, don't we? And thank God for this encouragement from Paul to the Philippian church that is encouragement for us too. It is incumbent, important, critical that we stand tall, courageous, and bold for Jesus in the day that we live in. But to make sure we do it in the right way. Amen? I think that the church has hurt itself sometimes in the way we uh, uh, confront those who oppose You know, I think of that uh, encouragement for Peter that says, uh, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to share the hope that's within you and to do so with gentleness and respect. So we do need to have courage and boldness in this day. We need to confront the things that are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God help us to do it in the right way so that we truly can make a difference in the lives of those that we're trying to have a godly influence on. Amen? Father, thank you for your word to us today through the Apostle Paul as he addressed issues that the Philippian church was facing. That encouragement to live as citizens of heaven, to stand firm, to stand as a team together, not to be intimidated or afraid of opposition and to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, there is the possibility of facing persecution of one kind or another, but to also understand that blessed are those who are persecuted in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, may we learn and take to heart these things that the Scripture has said to us today so that we truly will be the church of Jesus Christ in our world. And we ask these things in His strong name. Amen.